You're listening to the Bull Academy Podcast. This is episode 112. Hi, Bull Academy Podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode. This is episode 112, and this is also another Flock Wool episode. And that means that I will be joined again by Evan Thompson. He's the CEO of Flock Wool, which is a little Albanian wool trading company that I was honored to join this year. And when Evan and I decided to document our journey of Flock Wool here on the Wool Academy podcast, we were very clear about the fact that we would be you know, really taking you behind the scenes and not showing you only the positive things and what's happening, but also the negative things. And this is exactly that kind of episode where we'll be sharing our difficulties because of the corona pandemic crisis. We have kind of come to a standstill and don't have that many options at the moment. So we are, we have Evan and I will be talking about um, the current situation and sharing uh, with you what we're going through and I hope you find it helpful and enjoy the episode I'll talk to you again at the end of this episode bye for now well good morning Evan uh, welcome morning. to the yet another show of the Will Academy podcast um, yeah today might be a little bit of a difficult episode for us um, mm -hmm. And I already said this in my introduction to this episode, um, but I'm going to repeat it a little bit again because you weren't there. Uh, <laughs> so when you and I uh, kind of committed to doing this podcast, we, um, we were very clear that we would be sharing our journey of Flock Wool. And that would include kind of the good, the bad and the ugly, as you say, mm -hmm. and, and that we would tell it as it is and not hide anything. And yeah, so that brings us to today's episode. And maybe also um, when this launches, we're actually going to launch two, uh, two more episodes at the same time because we kind of got into a backlog. So this is um, before we recorded an episode where we talked about collecting our wool. And that was kind of end of May, beginning of June. And it was a short episode where we were really excited that we collected our first wool. And then we did another episode that will also launch now about the lean methodologies and creating a minimum viable product. Um, and there we talked about um, yeah, applying to those concepts and just our goal was to collect one container of wool. And maybe anyone who's listening to this first, you are very welcome to go to those other two episodes because um, then things might also make a little bit more sense of what we're talking today. But that brings us, it's now the end of July and that's also why we wanted to publish these three at the same time because otherwise this story would only air in one month and then... Um, yeah, it's not like then we're not really, I don't know, and it's dragging things along and we're not really telling it as it's happening. Mm -hmm. But what's happening, Evan? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So obviously what's happening. So we've already talked about the, you know, how um, the coronavirus situation from an economic perspective has, has impacted the company. In the initial stages, we talked about some of those things, but, but ultimately that conversation was as much theory as it was you know, stuff that was actually happening. This one won't be any theory. <laughs> it, it will be, it will be uh, what has happened. And so 
the us working around, um, you know, travel restrictions, shut down, open restrictions, um, you know, uh, potential trade issues, you know, getting, you know, getting our bailing worked out and stuff like that. So we talked about situations like that. Um, this is a little bit different. Um, essentially, the situation that we're in right now is the, the market for um, our wool, coarse wool, has uh, really taken a hit. Um, uh, people in the industry who we've spoken to have used much harsher language than, than we are at the moment. But, uh, but yeah, it's been hurt very bad. Um, there are uh, even fairly, you know, sad stories of, of, of things that some farmers are put in situations to do with their sheep um, whose wool is no longer valuable, who, uh, you know, didn't have savings or uh, the, not in Albania, of course, but in, in context of countries where wool is a, is a, a major commodity. Um, there are, you know, there are farmers that have been put in difficult situations. So this is a global uh, market phenomena that has kind of occurred where the, where the price of, uh, of course, wool has, has dropped dramatically um, and in some places too negligible. And um, so no one's buying it and uh, no one's selling it. And so, yeah, that's a, was a not good timing on our part. Uh, we, we couldn't have predicted this. <laughs> we didn't predict this pandemic. And, um, and so, yeah, we now have wool in a warehouse so we can't move is uh, the general situation. Yeah, and maybe let's dive a little bit deeper of how um, the situation kind of unfolded. So when we collected wool at the end of May, beginning of June, which was already kind of a month later than we had expected. And that was already when the pandemic, and we collected data because of the pandemic. And then, yeah, what started from there once we had the wool in our warehouse? How did the events unfold? Well, obviously, uh, the way markets end up responding to you know, events like this, um, every single sector or even every commodity or um, job description within the sector, they're not impacted equally or evenly or at the same time. So it's, it's, it's not accurate to say, okay, day one of the pandemic, um, all of the things that were to happen in the market happened on that day. It's like, well, no, that's not how it works. So um, the, you know, in fairness, like we've seen, um, you know, how countries have responded and how the impact on different countries has been different and, and how countries that weren't hit that hard then became hit hard. And, you, you know, some countries are on a curve like this. Everybody's seen the cur different curves, right? We've all talked about curves at this point. So um, that that's happening unevenly, the impact of the pandemic from a health perspective, and then the health perspective leads into the economic perspective. And then there's varied impacts on the market. We could, of course, speculate, well, okay, you know, wool, carpeting and rugs are more of a luxury product. Less people are, significantly less people are buying that right now, while there's so much economic uncertainty. So what's that going to do to the coarse wool industry? And so that's pretty good theory, I think. And, and I think that's probably it. But of course, that's something that sets in over time. That's not something that happens instantly. You know, um, I don't think there's anybody that would suggest that wool is, um, uh, that the price of wool is hyper, hyper volatile <laughs> with global events. Um, like, for example, the price of oil, you know, that is hyper volatile with certain global events. You can measure that to the day almost. But, um, but yeah, wool, not the case. So that's why there's a bit of a lag. Um, so, you know, there, that probably explains the lag. 
And then, you know, we were, again, in continued talks with our partners and they weren't having any problems. You know, everything was, you know, fine. Like, um, and in some cases, good. You know, we're dealing in the flooring industry with, you know, one of our partners deals with um, kind of uh, a lot of products on the lower end of the flooring industry. And so business for them was booming because <laughs> this was a, a good event for them in, in, in many, in a good economic event for them in many ways. Um, but, you know, with that partner and with the people that they had connected us with, and, um, you know, again, we in, in the United States were headquartered in Dalton, which is the carpet capital of the world. So you can look up the companies there. So we've spoken with a handful of multi-billion dollar corporations, you know, about our product. And so we had people very interested. Um, and uh, even to the point of we're ready to draw up a purchase order, they're making the final step of connecting us with, you know, exactly where this is going to go. I think the last thing I told um, our primary contact for sales was um, at this point, you know, we can have our wool at the port within a week. You tell us where the boat's going and we'll have it there. You know, so like that's the stage we were at. And then two weeks later, <laughs> it's just, um, you know, the, um, Again, I think the specific message I got was that uh, that um, every everyone I've spoken to, this guy <clears throat> who knows everybody from China to Belgium to the United States, um, he said everyone I've spoken to says they can get New Zealand wool for almost free. No one would take the risk on Albanian wool right now. And it's like, yep, that's true. And and there's and there's no structural way around that market reality for the time being. Yeah, and I remember, I mean, we, we have our regular uh, team meetings and I remember one week we were discussing for our colleague Albi to get all the shipping papers ready. Yep. And as you said, we were just waiting kind of like where it should be shipped. And then one week later or in between you already send messages, uh, yeah. Albi, stop everything. Uh, we need to wait for more instructions. We have to yep. get more information. And then already the next meeting, we kind of had a totally different discussion. Yeah, it was, so maybe, it was a quick yeah. process. Yeah, so maybe um, take us through a little bit then of, yeah, kind of, so the discussion we had to have then once we understood that the situ situation has changed and we couldn't get our wool out of our warehouse. Yeah, so, well, so I sent out an email. Yeah, that's where, that's where we're at, so... Um, just to clarify, right, Behind, to, <laughs> yes. to break the fourth wall, right? That's where we're at. So, um, and uh, so <clears throat> at that point, I'm thinking like, okay, well, you know, we, we no longer can operate business as usual. We no longer can, uh, can act as if we have the same strategy before us. We have a very different reality. We have to shift our approach. And so I sent out an email, you know, essentially saying three things. The first thing was, hey, you know, we couldn't have predicted this, like, And, and that's what a lot of companies have said, obviously, you know, that's not a, that's not a excuse, of course, but it's, um, it's just recognizing the facts that like, we couldn't have predicted this and we did everything right. You know, for a group of people from three different countries that didn't really know each other a year ago to try to gather up wool in a country that's not gathering up wool, <laughs> like, and, and to get that done with, you know, um, you're the only person in, from the wool industry in our company, you know, and, and then you've never had an operational role on the ground in that sense. So it's just like, 
we've done everything right. We collected it. We didn't overspend. You know, we kept to our budget. Like, I mean, that's how many companies can say that, you know, their first year of operation, they were able to accurately account for expenses in, in a reasonable enough way. So we did it. We got the warehouse. We collected the wool. We bailed it up. We had to dodge around coronavirus. And so and that was the first point I had to make is that I thought, well, everybody did their job and did it well. Um, but the second point was um, that we have to change strategies. And I offered basically two approaches um, is either we innovate or, um, or delay um, and innovate basically meant, okay, we have wool and bales right now and we think it's going to be carpet. And that's kind of how we've been acting. It's going to be a carpet or a rug or, you know, maybe, maybe insulation, something like that. Um, but what if we were innovative? What if we completely reimagined this? Um, and again, I don't know. Yeah, you know, we don't know. Um, but maybe that's what we could do and see what the options are. And then the other option is delay and do what pretty much everybody else is doing right now <laughs> and just keep it in the <laughs> warehouse and wait. And I mean, that's what all the other world companies are doing right now for the most part. I'm sure you've seen, you know, you, you've sent us some reports as well. That's the, that might as well be the formal market guidance at this stage, um, sit it in the warehouse, sell it later, you know? And so that's kind of where we're at. And then the third point was that, yeah, we're all co-owners of this company. It's for us to decide as a group. It's not for, it's not for me alone to decide. It's for everybody to, to determine. And so, yeah, then we had a very long conversation based upon, you know, what I outlined in that email and, and what our thoughts were. Yeah, and, and I then asked in our group call, like, so why isn't there the third option of just giving yeah. up? So, <laughs> so why yeah. didn't you put that in your email, like as a third option? Well, the, the, and, and, I'll, and what I said on the call, I'll quote myself from the call. Um, there's technically always the option of give up. So you don't even need to mention it because it's um, like a, a given at any point. In of time. course. Yeah. It's a given at any point. Yeah. And, and, and we could, we could next month. It's unlikely, but, you know, um, but uh, it, it's, it's technically always true. You know, it's, it's like, th that's the nature of free enterprise, free to do whatever the hell you want. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, but, you know, from my perspective, the, the reason why it, it doesn't make sense to, to stop is because, okay, the cost of storing this wool, it is a cost, but it's just like, well, you know, it's not, that's the wrong mentality in my opinion. It's not the cost of storing the wool. It's the cost to continue to speculate on whether we can sell this wool into the future and it, and it be a price that makes the business unit viable. If we have to incur more costs due to the delay, due to a pandemic, which is not part of the business model, okay? You know, so <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, unless pandemic economy sets in as the normal, but like, I, I doubt that. So um, we would have more problems than a wool company if that were the case. But, um, but, um, but yeah, it's the cost to speculate into the future on whether the business unit can be viable according to the strategy and model that we put forward. You know, and so if it means that a that thousand dollars has to be spent on, on uh, warehousing over the next six months and for people who are hearing that quote, yes, that's the cost of doing business in Albania. So um, it's not unbelievable to, to speculate in that way when that's our, the only cost we're going to incur. And so we can handle that. I can handle that. Um, it's, it's a worthwhile investment. 
So, okay. So the financial side of things, there's no reason to financially because it's, again, the mentality of we're burning money. No, we're not. We're paying to speculate. And, and, it, and it's the, the, the initial question has not been answered. Is this viable business or not? Right. We still haven't answered that. You know, we, we haven't sent that. It hasn't been, we haven't seen somebody, we haven't seen end users interact with our product and say, it's worth this much, you know, or it could be worth that much if you do X, Y, and Z, you know, so that's what, that's what has to happen. We have to let it interact with the customer. And now we, and we literally can't do that. So it's, it's, it's worth speculating in the future. Second thing is obviously we've worked well together. That was your point. So maybe you can talk <laughs> about that. Um, and so, and so that has definitely been exciting. Um, but the, but the third and the more important thing is none of us, none of us want to, you know, and, and that's not like stubbornness or bullheadedness. I, I think that's like a, uh, the, the, a cause du jour of businesses, you know, okay, what do you want? What do you actually, what are you willing to, you know, keep in your life right now? And, and all of us, you know, are on the same page on that. We, we want this, you know, in our life right now, we're willing to tolerate some setbacks and some disappointments um, because we, you know, we're, we're crazy enough to believe that we can make it happen. You know, that we, that we can, you know, not just sell a container of wool, but, but make an impact on the wool industry in an entire nation. And so, and if, and if we didn't have that belief, then we should have never started. You know, yeah, and, if that, and if that belief can be shaken by um, an event that throws you off course, then, then we don't have the fortitude for any entrepreneurial venture, let alone one of this magnitude, you know? So, yeah, I think that's why it's like, well, no, I'm not advocating on behalf of give up, um, even though give up could occur for diff completely different reasons, you know, like if, if the financial reason came up, then well, that would be very, very different. You know, it's like, well, okay, we literally can't afford this right now. Mm. Um, and so. So yeah, just to, um, because we mentioned the lean methodology and you yep. you said that that we're trying to prove that we have a viable product which at this point in our business doesn't isn't the same as proof that we have a profitable product so the profitability may come at a later stage once we know if there's value in our product or is that the same viable product and profitable product Oh, I guess I, I generally mean the same thing. I'm willing to accept at this stage because we've had, because we've had to take more costs, because we will take more costs that we're not at all accounted for due to now the future delay, right? Our costs so far have been under control. The costs going forward are new. Um, what's the likelihood of profitability the first moment we're able to sell out of this condition? Like very, very, very low, you know, um, but Whereas before that was, you know, a, a, a more important threshold at this stage, like we're, I'm accepting the fact that we're probably going to lose money on this again of that product coming out of lowest price ever situation to, okay, now it's actually back on the market to what we've actually had to spend for all the other things to wait for that day to come. So yeah, the conditions have changed a bit, but this is, I, yeah, the other thing I said was, um, this is why you run, this is why you do it the lean startup way. Because if we would have thought, let's get five containers. Well, now we spent tens of thousands of dollars needlessly, you know, you know, so now we've just spent a few thousand dollars. It's like, okay, well, 
we can, can we afford a few? Yes, we can afford a few thousand dollars to speculate on a business process, right? So, um, so yeah, this is exactly why you, you know, do, you know, follow that playbook. Is so you don't find yourself in a situation where you have this massive expenditure that you actually haven't validated yet. So you have the minimum viable product, minimum expenditure, minimum operation, you know, to get something into market. And it's like, okay, well, we've done that. We haven't done anything more than that. Um, now we're having to spend slightly more just to delay. Um, but, but yeah, I, th I think that hopefully explains kind of. Yeah, yeah. so kind of we're, try we're still trying to validate kind of, but the, the, so if we do validate that we have a viable product, then mm -hmm. the profit would, we would, you know, would come at a later stage because mm -hmm. of this delay. So like profit and viable product might not come at the same time kind of but we yeah. will validate well, that we can make a product profit in the future it, it will yes that yeah. that will be the more <laughs> important thing is that is that the whether this is viable or not is whether we can actually look look and say okay based upon what was earned here and um at scale what does that look like mm -hmm. you know because because almost no matter what anybody would buy this for one container is not going to be profitable, you know, effectively, or even if it is, it wouldn't be worth our time, you know? So it's, it's, it's always a question of, okay, what is this at scale? Yeah. You know? okay. um, so, yeah. Yeah. And then because you mentioned that um, during the last question that I had said, okay, you know, we did work as a team. Like we, I didn't know anyone, any of you and you, you know, okay, you've known Tiana for a very long time, but the rest of the yeah, we, team. We've known each other for a while. <laughs> but yeah. you, like Albi and Getty, you've only known maybe a year and a half or so. I mean, for five random people from three different countries to come together and pull this operation off, um, and all of us not really, you know, having done this before. I thought we did a pretty good job and we worked very well together, like as a team. And I thought that was quite special because that doesn't, that's not, you know, happen, that doesn't happen all the time. And so I thought we had to yeah, value that as well and, and honor that and, and see potential in us being able to do even, you know, more with that. So that's yeah, what we said. Um, and, you, and you liked your early morning Albanian burrack. The that was the what the food that we had. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So of course, um, like this is our individual situation, but as you also as you said, like this is happening across the industry. This is happening across other industries. Like no, I guess mm -hmm. nobody's not affected in some way, and. Um, like also in my like you know consulting business things have slowed down. There's not that much business uh, because everybody's careful and spending their budgets. Um, so I feel like we. I, I kind of feel that like I don't have the right to moan because like everybody's affected, you know. So um, mm -hmm. so also I think I think this episode isn't about you know us being pitying ourselves or anything. Um, we're rather telling the story. Um, to yeah, kind of maybe also, you know, other people might feel the same and see, oh yeah, okay, I'm not alone in this, but also like, is there something we can learn from this? Is there something 
that will make us stronger going out of the, this. So can we look at this at, at, on a like, different perspective? Or? Um, well, the, I, I'm not sure yet. So like, if, you know, in the case of we have an established company that has, you know, an operating budget and savings and, you know, um, you know, a large customer base and stuff like that, right? Years of doing business in wool specifically. Um, the, the, you know, they're in a very different position. You know, they're just like, okay, oh, all right. You know, the prices aren't amenable to us, you know, because this happens, right? The uh, wool companies, warehouses, suppliers, whatever, they'll put their wool on blocks for a few months to wait for the prices to shift because they can. So they're already used to doing this. Now, this is slightly different. You know, there's more, it's more than just a undesirable price. It's like, wow, you know, the market has just been, you know, borderline obliterated by the impact of coronavirus. Um, but it, still, regardless of why, you know, the what for, the, for a company that's already dealt with price shocks and price fluctuations is more or less going to be the same. They've already done this, they already have a process for this, they already have a procedure. In our case, we're in a very different position. You know, this was the very beginning. And, and um, you, know, um, you know, anybody who's read the literature on, you know, uh, there's been, I think there's even been TED Talks on this, you know, the, the reasons why businesses succeed or fail. Um, the number one, timing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm aware of that. I'm aware of the number one reason why businesses succeed or fail is timing. Um, and of course, most of that study had to do with technology companies, but um, it's still an interesting point, whether you think it's perfectly applicable or not, it's a salient point. Um, but our timing has obviously been terrible. And uh, what can we learn from that? It's not like we, I mean, you know, again, it's not like we were sitting around like, well, you know, all right, guys, let's plan out the business. You know, what if this goes right or that? What if that goes wrong or that? You know, what if we're over budget? What if we miscalculate this? What if we have problems with that? We've already faced a lot of those things, you know, um, and we've gotten over it. You know, like we've innovated around the bailing issue. We've innovated around the, uh, the, the bales material issue. We've, um, we're working with a potential development initiative that might be analyzing the product. We've spoken with your colleagues. We've spoken with people in Australia. We've spoken with people in New Zealand. We're, we've gotten connected with <clears throat> some of the biggest carpet companies in the world, you know, in, in Dalton, Georgia. So, you know, we, We've, um, we've literally, <clears throat> dang it, even gotten connected with a Albanian immigrant to the United States who's worked in the carpet industry <laughs> and who's a billionaire. You know, so it's like we have this, probably the most interested person in, our, in the world capable of helping our company, like who could be involved. Even he's like, no, the carpet, well, not now, not, not now. You know, like how, like <laughs> what's the lesson learned from from a situation that no reasonable person would have at all thought like, okay, well, what's our plan if a, you know, a once in 100 year pandemic spreads across the world and shatters the market for almost all luxury goods? And that would have been considered woolen carpets and rugs would have fallen into that category. Maybe not luxury, but you know, luxury-ish, higher price item good. 
Um, and because especially home buying went on decline too and home renovations went on decline and people started saving more. And, you know, so like when you look at the macroeconomic trends in America, for example, savings went up, skyrocketed, like it was crazy. Um, you know, and that's okay. You know, when people are saving, we're saving, you know, like look at my, my individual economic behavior is inadvertently harming <laughs> our company. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not entirely sure if there's a lesson learned um, because it's an interesting situation. And then, and then that's kind of the nature of, um, I think I've spoken about Nassim Taleb on this podcast already in some sense, but I like Nassim Taleb, you know, and he, and he talks about randomness a lot and he talks about shock events like this and, you know, and, 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 um, and black swan phenomena, like um, there, there are aspects of this that, that are similar to that, that um, are, are events that you, that you couldn't, you couldn't have predicted. So we could have reasonably predicted a pandemic, but we couldn't have predicted all of the shocks of it, right? That's, we couldn't have reasonably predicted all of the economic shocks or the specific economic shocks. But even though this is an unpredictable thing, the specific economic shock to the coarse wool industry, right? Um, it is having an outsized effect on our company. Arguably it's the effect on our company. Um, and the, the, the very definition of those things is that you can't predict them. And something that you have no facility to predict, you, you, you can't really say that you have a framework for um, learning, right? Um, the, uh, that being said, the, the question then, and I don't have any answer to this, but, um, but the, the thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, what, if anything, can we do as a company to gain from this disorder? You know, like, so the, that's the maxim of Taleb. How do you how do you guard against um, uh, uh, events that are shattering like this and that are random and seemingly random and unpredictable? Um, you become anti-fragile. Um, so how, you know, how can we build anti-fragility you know, into our company as well? Um, uh, and that's something to think about. You know, may, maybe simply us telling this story like this is something that could be that. We could garner interest in our company, maybe not today, but for the future because we're speaking as we are. I don't know very many companies, I don't know very many executives that go out there and say, here is how my company is failing like mad right now. <laughs> and and here, are, here are all of my thoughts unfiltered about, about what has gone into that, the decisions we've made in response to it and why. You know, like, I don't know, that's pretty bold. You know, companies go out there and say things about what they believe about, you know, various social causes um, and maybe believe that or maybe don't believe that, but they post things on social media. But you know, what, what we're doing right now is saying like, well, here are the actual challenges that we're facing. Like here's a look behind the scenes of what's actually happening in the company. This is not marketing material. This is an honest conversation of, of, of what the problems are. And so maybe if anything, you know, that, that that's a learning lesson and, and, in one approach to thinking about things. But that being said, I'm not saying we're necessarily people to listen to. We haven't succeeded. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so we, we could have maybe, we, you know, uh, but, but again, that's, we don't know. We literally don't know. There are a lot of old companies out there that are very successful. We're not one of them. I hope we are someday, but today <laughs> it's not today, you know, and that's the fact, you know, and, and I'm, um, so maybe people are able to learn from us or maybe people uh, 
don't listen to us on the basis that, that we, that, that we're not there. Yeah. And I mean, another thing that I was like researching about and thinking about is that we have kind of two different markets. We have the wool market for fine wool, which trades at a much higher um, yeah. level. And we have the market for coarse wool, which we are in, which anyways, already before this pandemic has been suffering and, you know, prices didn't come off the ground. There are so many stories. And that is actually also probably the case in Albania that like shearing the sheep costs more than actually the money that you're getting for it. And, mm. and there was literally no market for Albanian wool. And that's why it, it would go to waste and, and just biodegrade in, in the ground. Um, so like, like, I, yeah, I, I, like what is the answer to, so right now coarse wool is really a commodity and that's why it's so, um, risk at risk at, you know, these very ch changing prices and low prices, like, is there a way out of coarse wool being a commodity and actually, you know, having more of a value? Um, well, that's the, I think the kind of the initial problem that we talked about a while ago and that we know a lot of people have talked about, but that nobody has actually been able to brand coarse wool. If we remember, we really started with that type of a problem and we, and we didn't really focus on that because we were just like, well, at the, at the end of the day, we're pretty sure we can, we have this market over here. And, and, and if we're able to connect Albanian wool to the carpet industry, we would have a, we would have a price advantage than competitors. And if we could, you know, make process improvements to the product, grow through breeding practices, um, uh, shearing and, <clears throat> um, and, and value adding practices um, and, you know, the, you know, right fit over a few years, then we'd have significant advantages. And, and that's just a, you know, of course it's sexy to create a good brand, of course, you know, but, but when you have that type of an opportunity, you have to go for that. Um, maybe it's something we look at again because of this delay. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the problem of there is no brand, for this, you know, Merino has a brand. And even right now, face masks, Merino wool face masks, but you can't coarse wool a face mask. <laughs> that would be, yeah. that would not be comfortable, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, dang it, even that, even the face masks, Merino sheep, man. <laughs> ah. But um, yeah, I mean, but Merino sheep are great and, and they produce an amazing product and, and, and uh, so are Ruda and so are Bardoka sheep. And, and we need to, uh, and, and we still have the need of, of of truly creating that brand. I mean, and, and part of that is gonna come down to an actual product that demands, you know, that, that, that type of wool. And carpets and rugs, yeah, but like, you know, carpets, who, who has an emotional attachment to carpet and mm. rugs, you know what I mean? Or insulation, right? Like they, with a, you know, a, a wool sweater, you know, you can have an emotional attachment to that you know, a wool scarf, a wool, you know, wool types of clothing and apparel, wool socks. I mean, who, who, who is a hiker and doesn't have several pairs of wool socks that they love? Because you know, they and, don't and, get blisters. And, yeah. and they have a brand that they love, you know, and they're loyal to that brand and they'll get in arguments about that, you know, <laughs> but no one would do that with a rug or a carpet, you know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, maybe there isn't the right product fit um, and, you know, maybe that can change. 
Um, so I, I think there's I think there's more than just the branding problem. I think there's also a product innovation that that demands you know a, a higher caliber of wool that that is a product that is something that actually does create you know that emotional attachment. And I, and I don't think right the customer isn't wrong for having an emotional attachment to carpets or rugs. They're not, you know, like um, that's there. I would say that that's kind of an answer of people. And, you know, we can't condemn people for how they think. It's how I think. It's how you think, you know. So, um, so I think it's more than just the industry itself. I think it's also the, the an, an end product when it comes down to it. Um, or, you know, or unless we just surrender the fact that nobody is interested in course wool um, from an emotional perspective that it's purely a practical product, you know? And if it is, then, you know, our strategy was right. Get it in the carpet, be practical, think about price. Albania beats other countries in terms of price, and it will, it will be a year from now when the, when the prices get back to normal, that's still true, you know? And, and if we're able to make the right product fit, then we have a huge advantage and we're going to exploit that. But um, do we have to wait a year for that? Maybe. Maybe longer. We have so, that. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Unless somebody, because I've read two different, two or three different articles about this now with people really trying to innovate Kevlar with wool. Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested in that because our brand is, we have the strongest wool from the toughest sheep <laughs> uh, uh, from a nation built on resilience. So we're going all in and we have the strongest wool on the planet. We, Al Albanian sheep, especially the Bardoka, are basically like the special forces of sheep. They camouflage into the side of the mountain. They climb mountains all the time. They deal with harsh in inclement conditions and they keep driving on like there isn't even a problem. So th these are already like your ranger green beret sheep that are out there. And then their wool is some of the strongest wool that you're gonna get. So if, <laughs> you know, when there's a product need for that that gets people motivated like potentially Kevlar, which would be amazing. Um, you know, then I think we have, we have the ideal, you know, product fit but um but yeah we're just we're we're, we're not there but um we got to keep <laughs> we got to keep fighting for it i guess yeah so. well thank you so much evan for um taking like well revisiting all the discussions we had and um sharing what we are going through and yeah i think we will just continue doing this um we do also have other uh, guests on the show so there have already been a few recordings that will publish after this because of course for us right now things will be a little bit slower so we will also maybe talk a little bit less often but we also still have more ideas we want to discuss uh, you and I here on the podcast mm -hmm. so yeah I think that's it for now let's see what kind of comments and reactions we get we would uh, be very interested we always love when people reach out to us we have had a few uh, people contacting us on LinkedIn or through a website so we're always open to to yeah connecting with everyone and discussing our wonderful Albanian wool and our adventure here at Flockwool so yeah I'll talk to you soon have a good rest of your day I will you too and bye for now. Bye. Hey, uh, thanks for listening all the way to the end. I do hope you enjoyed this episode and found it of value. If you want to find out more, then head on over to the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 112 
or visit the Flockwool website at flockwool.com. And of course, if you have any comments or suggestions or ideas of how we can get out of this current situation, then contact us. We are available on LinkedIn and you also find our contact details on both my website and the Flockwool website. I look forward to hearing from you and I see you in the next episode where I will be talking not to Evan Thompson but to Tone Tobiasen and we will be exploring um, how wool is used in other European countries. So I hope you tune in. Bye for now.